Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it is now the ninth day of June 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of former Detroit Tigers star Dan Petrie and current Los Angeles Dodgers center fielder Jock Peterson. Well, let's talk about the Padres, shall we? The Padres are, how do I put this mildly, they're not doing that well. Oh, they're not the worst team in baseball. They're not the worst team, the Atlanta Braves, who they're currently losing to in a game this afternoon, and the Minnesota Twins are. But the San Diego Padres are, well, let's just be kind. They're not contenders, uh, and they are probably not going to put anything together worthwhile in 2016, which is the 10th anniversary of their last postseason appearance. Now, of course, they lost the one-game playoff. If they had just, if Trevor Hoffman had been able to get out Tony Gwynn Jr., there would have they would have been in the wild card in 2007. If they were able to hold on to that lead in the what was it in the 11th inning, 12th inning against Colorado, they would have been in. And if they had won a couple of games here or there in 2010, they would have been probably the division champs or certainly the uh, the wildcard team in 2000. I mean, that was a year, let's not forget, they could have been a playoff team this decade. They're currently one of the teams that, one of the few teams that are on the outside looking in for this entire decade. And you look at that 2010 year where out of nowhere they won 90 games and Bud Black won manager of the year. And at one point during the season, lest we forget, the San Diego Padres went on a 10-game losing streak between August 26th and September 5th. This was a team that had a six-game lead in August. Six games in on August 22nd. And just failed. I mean, they, they, had the, they were in first place by themselves on September 25th. And they wound up losing the division to the San Francisco Giants on the last day of the season. And we all know what happened. The Giants went on to win the World Series that year. Now, I don't think the San Diego Padres would have gone on to win the World Series that year. But boy, oh boy, if they had been the wild card team, all right, they probably, maybe they would have been thumped by the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't know. But it would have been an interesting alternate universe. Instead, the Padres belong with the Marlins, with the uh, uh, Seattle Mariners, with the White Sox, and is there another, what other one is there in the, and uh, let's see, the Marlins, the Mariners, the White Sox, and the Rockies are the only teams to not play in the postseason in the 2010s. And since... The team was taken over by the new ownership. And I had to talk about this with Ron Fowler. Uh, it's not looked good. They did a ill-fated, hey, let's try to contend right away. That didn't work. Now they're tearing the team apart. That hasn't worked. Now that they're, the Ron Fowler wants to sell off their top players, 
Um, and it's putting a lot of pressure on the general manager, uh, which is A.J. Preller and the team president, Mike D. Tons of pressure on Preller because he, you know, how much of the moves that brought in Kemp and brought in Shields and brought in Myers, all those players that didn't even improve the team slightly, how much of that was Preller, how much of that was the ownership led by Ron Fowler, we don't know. I don't know, and you don't know. But what it means is today, this day, the ninth day of June 2016, is actually a critical day for the San Diego Padres. Now, there's something weird about today's episode because it is going to be instantly dated uh, at one point today because I'm, I'm posting this early in the day on the 9th of June. At some point at the end of the day, we're going to have answers to some of the questions that I'm going to say here. But I want to bring it up. I want to bring it up beforehand because there's a philosophical and a self-preservation element of something that could happen today that is could have long-reaching effects on the San Diego Padres. Now, we already saw something that I kind of predicted was going to happen. The Ron Fowler went on the mighty 1090 in San Diego and ripped the team a new one and called people out, called out James Shields, who was angry at the players, was angry at everything. And shortly afterwards, they dealt James Shields to the Chicago White Sox in, in a move that came pretty quickly after a bad James Shields outing and after he was clear that the management was not happy with him. And was also evident that they were not selling high on him. They were selling relatively low on him. They were selling pretty much as low as you can go. And the deal that they got from where they got a, you know, let's face it, a mediocre pitcher and uh, Tatis for Fernando Tatis Jr., who is not a top-flight prospect, James Shields, who's pretty much a lock for 200 innings a year and some decent starts, was picked up for practically nothing that was going to affect the Chicago White Sox this year. Now, look at Fernando Tatis could turn around and be a nice player, but and, and what was the other? What was the pitcher that they 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 sent off? Was it John? The guy's name was Johnson. Yeah, it was uh, uh, Eric Johnson. Who's you know who knows? He may be a decent pitcher. We don't know the answer to that. But one thing I do know is they sent him to the White Sox, and the White Sox didn't have to give up much for him. And if he just puts together a typical James Shields year, they'll get up 200 innings for really not much of anything. And partly because the White Sox must have known that they were trying to get rid of him. And there are lots of teams that could use a pitcher who fills up innings. The Red Sox could certainly do that. There, the Yankees could certainly use someone like that, although they've been getting good starting pitching recently. There are a lot of teams that could use a good, solid starting pitcher And the Padres just handed them over to the Chicago White Sox because they are playing and managing the team angrily. That was a move, I think, made somewhat out of spite. Now let's talk about what's happening today, why it's so significant. Today is the MLB draft, the beginning of the MLB draft at least. The whatever it's called, the amateur draft, the the, the first-time player draft, I don't know what it is. 
what they officially call it. But this is when you draft the players. Now, of course, it's very, it's interesting. You know, you can't really gauge how a team did in the draft the day of the draft because how do you know? They drafted someone, as I said many times. The, there are some players who are unheralded who become great players. There are some number one overall picks who become busts. I mean, Matt Bush was the number one overall pick for the San Diego Padres. Granted, he finally made it to the majors as a starting pitcher, but he was supposed to be a star shortstop for the Padres. They could have drafted Justin Verlander instead. It's very difficult because when you draft a player, sometimes it takes two, three, four years to get them to the major leagues. Look at how long it took uh, Jameson Tallien to make it to the majors. I don't even know if I pronounced his name right. Now, the Padres have depleted their farm system over the last bunch of years with some, let's just be kind, and call them ill-fated trades. Let's be extraordinarily generous and call them ill-fated trades because what they were were, some, were were downright disastrous, where they were sending off their best players and their best farm, you know, the best products of their farm system for a shot at a division title that they had no business getting. But this is an opportunity for the San Diego Padres to right that ship to a certain degree. The Padres, they actually, to be fair, when they, they traded away Craig Kimbrell, they got who was listed on MLB.com, they got Manny Margot and Javier Guerra, who were their top two prospects who they swiped from the Red Sox in the Craig Kimbrell trade. But aside from making a couple of decent moves to try to put some players back into it, they don't have that huge, bona fide, can't-miss superstar in their system at this point. But they're going to have the number eight pick overall. Also because they lost Justin Upton and Ian Kennedy, they're going to have the 24th and 25th pick. Plus, they'll have the 48th pick. So in the top 50 spots, actually the top 48 spots in the draft this year, they are going to pick four times. Now, keep in mind, some teams like the Giants aren't going to pick until number 59. When the Giants make their first pick, the Padres will have four. The Royals will make their first pick till 67. Hell, the Cubs aren't going to pick until 104. So the, this is a critical moment for A.J. Preller, for D, for the, the, the scouting director, who's Mark Connor. Because this is a chance to put four players into their system, four quality players into their system, who could make it up to the big leagues. And where I find it interesting, as I've been reading about this draft, I've been reading some of the mock drafts, is how do you go about with a philosophy here? You already have an owner who made it very clear they are not happy with the current state of the team and the current direction of the team. But with that being said, sure, they're not happy, but how do you fix that through the draft? When you have a chance to get four of the top 50 talents out there, amateur talents, and maybe manipulate things here and there so you can use the draft, your, your, your draft pool of money and make it so, all right, we won't, we're not going to overshoot for the first pick, but we can wind up having four quality players that we inject into the system. What do you put in mind? How do you go about doing this? Do you do it in a form of self-preservation, where you basically pick college players 
who are have the closest and the quickest route to the major leagues. A lot of times you see a college player who only spends a year or so in the minor leagues, and before you know it, they're in the majors. And like, oh, look at that, the farm system's producing players. Or do you, you know, as Mark Connor was saying in a Q&A with the San Diego Union Tribune, that they tend to say, oh, you got to draft the best talent available. Well, sometimes that best talent available is a high school player. Sometimes it's a high school player who needs to change position. Because most of the time a high school is going to put their best talented player up the middle. Usually it's shortstop, maybe in center field, maybe as a catcher, maybe as a second baseman. That tends to be where the best talented players are then. And a lot of times, yeah, they're, they're the best option for shortstop for, the, for South Pasadena High School, but not for professionals. So you've got to maybe make a change in terms of second baseman, in terms of third baseman, in terms of an outfielder. And that takes time, that takes development. And what I'm wondering was when, you know, if, if ownership makes it public how mad they are, just imagine how mad they are in private. If they put that sort of pressure on them over the airwaves for us all to consume, what are they experiencing at the damn office? And so with that in mind, I really started to look at what, will the Padres do? Now, of course, you can't know what's going to happen because, as I said, they don't have the number one pick overall. The number one pick overall belongs to the Philadelphia Phillies. And it looks like the, the consensus number one pick is either going to be uh, A.J. Puck, who's a pitcher for the University of Florida, maybe Corey Ray, who's an outfielder at the University of Louisville. Uh, Jason Groom is a left-handed starting pitcher in New Jersey. And then there's a college third baseman by the name of Nick uh, Senzel. I'm, I'm thinking I'm pronouncing his name. Uh, Nick Senzel, who is a, a, a right-handed power-hitting third baseman from the University of Tennessee. Now, of course, if any one of those players fall to number eight, the Padres will gobble them up in a second. Now, I looked at a couple of the mock drafts online. And none of them went as far as the 48th pick, which they also have. But there were some interesting things about some of these mock drafts. The Bleacher Report mock draft had the Padres getting Nick Senzel with the 8th pick overall. That means they would get one of the most heralded players, a player who's been whispered as a potential number 2 overall pick. And they had him with the 24th pick picking Cal Quantrill, which, by the way, is an ironic name because his name is Cal and he played for Stanford. Uh, but he is a right-handed pitcher. He's the son of Paul Quantrill, former Blue Jay. But he had Tommy John surgery. Now, he seems to be on the mend, but that's a risk pick. And Bleacher Report thinks that they'll take a risk because the Padres are super high on Cal Quantrill. And they also had a left-handed for the 25th pick because they had those back-to-back picks, 24th and 25th. They ended up picking a high school pitcher from Texas named Kyle Miller. By the way, it would be interesting to listen to this podcast in a few years to see if I recognize any of these names. Uh, CBS Sports had the had them picking Quantrill with the eighth overall pick, which I found interesting because that's, an, that's a real risk to draft a guy who's had the Tommy John surgery already. Now, maybe they're thinking, hey, he'll recover from it and we'll get only the upside. But what if he's someone who's already injury-prone? Can the San Diego Padres afford to use one of these three picks on someone who may not even make it because he's already had the injuries. I went to Baseball America, which is the 
always the authority for things in the minor leagues and amateur ball as well. They had Senzel going to Oakland, and they also had the Padres using the eighth overall pick for Quantrill. I found that to be strange. Uh, they also had the Padres with those 24th and 25th picks getting Josh Lowe, who's a power-hitting third baseman, and another power-hitter named Will Benson from Georgia. Again, interesting to listen to this in a few years to see if these names are household names or not. Uh, the Sporting News, which is a publication I love for baseball, had the Padres using Senzo with the eighth pick, and that they had Quantrill going to the Cardinals, and so they had the Padres using high school picks uh, with a uh, guy named Joey Wentz and Benson, who I mentioned earlier, Will Benson from Georgia. Then I went to MLB.com. They had Senzel going at number two. Someone named Riley Pint, who I don't know who he is, was a high school right-handed starting pitcher. And then they had a couple of high school third basemen, Josh Lowe and Nolan Jones. So basically in their mock draft, they had the Padres just going completely long-term. High school player, high school player was high ceiling, high ceiling, high ceiling. I can't help but wonder if we look at the draft at the end of the day. All evidence points to the Padres super interested in Cal Quantrill. That he's a really talented pitcher, college pitcher, who has already gone through the Tommy John process. But can they afford that? And of course, picking up the high school players, I wonder if this is going to be moments of self-preservation. If they can say Quantrill is the most talented player, but if we draft someone with the 8th pick or the 24th or 25th pick and that they turn out to have a recurring injury and need surgery again, will that cost us our jobs? Will it keep our jobs if we say, hey, look, we got these guys and they're already in the big leagues. Oh, we know what you're doing. You are, will they be drafting for the long-term health of the team, which would mean looking at each slot and say, okay, who is the most talented player available, whether it takes us four years, two years, one year, or six years to get into the majors, it doesn't matter because when they get to the majors, they'll be a bona fide help to the San Diego team. But, of course, the problem with that is we're talking about 2021, 2022, when some of these players will be blossoming on the major league level if you're drafting high school players. And if, do you really think that if the Padres haven't turned it around that you are still going to see A.J. Preller here? That you're going to still see D as the president of the team? Are you still going to see Connor as a scouting director? How do you draft? It reminds me of situations where a person is laid off, but then they have to train the person who will take their job. Like, why would Preller and Connor make decisions that won't blossom until, you know, four or five years from now? And whoever has taken their place at that point will get all the credit. If you come in and say, we got a new general manager, and the very next year, four or five players come up through the farm system, people are like, oh, God damn, he turned it around right away. Without any recognition of, oh, yeah, look at that. I remember that happened like crazy with, and don't get me wrong, I love Theo Epstein. But a lot of the things that he got, he inherited from Dan Duquette, who got nothing but crap when he got kicked out the door. Now, granted, it probably was time for Dan Duquette to leave, but holy Toledo, he got credit for lots of things like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
Epstein did some good things when he was with the Red Sox general manager, and we obviously he's doing a wonderful job with the Chicago Cubs. But but come on. Why is it why would they make decisions that will give someone else the credit? You know, why would they I mean look at how the accolades that Joe Torre got when he became manager of the Yankees. And I'm not taking anything away from Joe Torre because he did a wonderful job as a manager of the Yankees and he deserved his space in the Hall of Fame. But how much of that would have happened without the groundwork laid out by Walter and Gene Michael? Seriously. So Preller and Connor and Dee are looking up and we got an owner who wants something right away. And we're going to see how they react to that. And I think it's a seminal moment for the Padres. Now, if they pick three college players and those three college players come up and they all three turn out to be nice players and contribute on the major league level, they can pat themselves on the back and say, hey, look at that, we did a good job. But if they pass up an opportunity to get truly franchise-quality players for their own self-preservation, that's not really going to help the Padres much in the long run. And I'll tell you another thing that's interesting. There's another team that's picking a bunch of times. In fact, how many times do they pick? They're going to pick uh, um, three times between, they're going to have three picks in the first 34, and that's the St. Louis Cardinals because they lost Jason Hayward and they lost John Lackey as free agents and they had their own pick. And so they're, like the Padres, they're going to have three picks in the first round, but there's no pressure on the Cardinals. The Cardinals, who, all right, they're not having their best season right now, you know, but they won 100 games last year. They are still loaded with talent. And let's be frank, I mean, they're still having a winning season. They're still only a few games out of a wild card spot. Would anyone be stunned if they turned around and made the postseason again this year? I know I wouldn't be. And they're going to have three picks in the first round. And so they can go pick anyone they want. They can pick someone in junior high school if they want, let them develop. They can go all the teams that are trying to draft for right now, right now, right now. If a bunch of those players fall to the bottom of the draft, the Cardinals can go yum, 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 yum. Yummy, yum, 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 yum. They're, they're the grouper at the bottom of the lake, and someone could drop filet mignon. They go yum, 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 yum. That's my impersonation of a grouper. You have two organizations, and the last time the Padres were in the playoffs, they lost to the St. Louis Cardinals. The, the Padres are in a position where they can make a real impact, put a real stamp on their minor league system and their organization. And the St. Louis Cardinals can say, hey, we're already a great organization. Why don't we get three of the top 34 talents available in the draft? And, you know, if they're high school players, fine, we'll let them develop. And three or four years from now, when some of these players on the current team leave and these players you've never heard of come up through the system, man, how do the Cardinals keep doing it? It's simple. They let Lackey walk away. They let Hayward walk away. That's how they do it. That's how a team stays in business. So you have one team that's in mid-panic and people maybe fighting for their jobs and another team which can just do things and do business as usual and contend, have a dominant decade where they have multiple pennants and everything like that, and walk away and make sure that they're constantly retooling their farm system. I mean, look, the, the Cardinals allowed Albert Pujols to walk, and they wound up drafting Michael Walker and Stephen Piscotti in this place. Now, uh, let me ask you something. If 
the Angels called up the Cardinals right now and said, tell you what, we'll trade you Albert Pujols for Waka and Steven Piscotty. Now, granted, Waka's not having a great year this year, but he's a young pitcher with success already. And, you know, Piscotty is a good, solid player. I mean, he's, again, I mean, he's having a really good year in, that, in his position. Yeah, I think they would turn down that trade. That's how the Cardinals do it. Now, of course, the Padres wouldn't mind being a little like the Cardinals, so they're going to be able to replenish their farm system. But they have to be patient, or else, rest assured, someone else will get the credit for their work. So pick well, Padres. The future of the team and your job is at stake. No pressure. Go to MLBReports.com to see the up-to-date listings of who owns baseball. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe to iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Oh, I'm everywhere. You can be old school and send me an email at info at SullyBaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the 9th day of June, 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Do you know what? You can call me Sully. Epilogue. I clearly recorded that podcast before I saw James Shields' first start with the Chicago White Sox. Yikes! Whoa, he got bombed. Maybe the Padres knew something.